0: Rwanda has amazing sunrises. And of all the things that you don't often do in other sports events, is in an ultra race, you are way more likely to catch a lot of sunrises. And because of the topography, there's so many hills. So every sunrise is so different. But that even a sunrise one kilometer further is completely different. And the colors in the sky, they change every second. So that is the thing which I like most. Also, when we go riding here in Kigali, it's often before the workday, so it's around sunrise. I think you're doing similar things in Dubai. And it's really a big part of what makes the country so nice. The sunsets are okay, but the sunrises are really magical here.
1: This is The Metal Set. Hi, this is Dawn, an ultra cyclist and sports PR specialist. And I'm Afshan, an endurance athlete and journalist. And we're on a quest to bring you stories of tenacity, courage, and medal. From athletes in the Middle East and beyond. In case you missed it, I'm training for the Race Around Rwanda, a 1,000-kilometer self-supported ultra-cycling race scheduled to start on the 5th of February, 2023. It just so happens that one of the race organizers, Simon Deshooter, is a friend of mine. I first met Simon back in 2019 as we traveled to Oman together for what was, for each of us, our first ultra-cycling race, Viking Man Oman. What will be a bonus series around the Race of Rwanda, this episode gives an overview of the race, the route, An update on cycling in Rwanda and what makes this race so special. Simon offers some practical advice for those signed up and words of encouragement for those thinking of signing up. He also chats with me about Rwanda Beyond, an initiative to help develop Rwandan cycling talent. I'm not going to lie, I'm not sure if I'll be physically ready for this race, but mentally I am beyond excited for this new adventure after what has been a challenging two years. I hope you enjoy my chat with Simon and stay tuned for upcoming bonus episodes that touch upon training, ultra eating, and also chat with some fellow racers. Let's get into the show. Hi, Simon. How are you?
0: Um, I'm good, very busy at the moment, uh, preparing for a mountain bike race, but uh, very good as well.
1: Oh good, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast to speak about race around Rwanda. We know that a lot of our listeners are particularly interested in ultra cycling, and since I've signed up for the next edition, (laughs) it only makes sense that we cover it from all angles, So before today, I had a quick look at the athlete guide that you had sent through. I didn't have a look at it before, which part of this podcast is going to keep me a bit accountable to everyone and myself. But I had a look and according to the ride with GPS files, the race is 1,005 kilometers, 18,230 meters of climbing, correct? And it's 30% gravel. Is that right? Right.
0: So one of the issues we're facing in Rwanda is that the country is developing quite rapidly and quite a lot of the gravel roads of the first edition have now been paved. So we're still actually looking for some some alternative roads to include sufficient amount of gravel. It will be between 30 and 40 percent.
1: Just to note, I'm okay if those roads end up being paved. (laughs) Right now you said I think it's about 70 percent full, is that correct, the race? Yeah, correct. Fantastic. And around 27% women or so.
0: right? Ra- yes, I think now the last three entries were men, so it's a bit down, but it's around one out of four, uh, which are women right now. Uh, one out of four as well, well, which are regional, so East African, So, which is also cool to see.
1: Great. We'll hopefully get a few more women signed up after this chat, maybe. Um, so we met on the way to biking, Man Oman, literally driving. <laughs> I don't know how, I'm thinking back, is it like four or five hours? And that was your first ultra race, correct?
0: Yeah, that was my, just like yours, my first uh, experience with ultra racing, with long distance racing at all, I ever did anything over. I do think my longest ride before that was probably 230 kilometers or something like that. And
1: then right into an ultra race. I love it. And you went back from that race and actually set up race around Rwanda. Do you want to tell us a bit about your personal journey, like after the first race that you did, you know, your thoughts on ultra cycling and how you really came to create the race?
0: Yeah, I was living in Rwanda for a couple of years, I think two years already when I signed up for the Oman Viking Men. I'm quite sure was already on the pool in the athlete hotel after the race. Immediately, I texted Matthew, a friend here in Rwanda, to say, you told me one time you wanted to maybe do something with cycling in Rwanda. I have a good idea for you. And out of that, Matt was also not an ultra cyclist at that time. He did a couple of of ultra races since. Uh, But just Rwanda as a country, it is a compact country, a safe country, a very diverse country in terms of landscapes. And it just—I just, just thought—is this is a perfect country for uh, for an ultra race? With the 1,000 kilometers we're doing for race around Rwanda, we're literally going around the country. It's not just the name; it's really every corner of the country because of how small it is, actually. And that was that. Actually, a couple of months later, we opened registrations, not knowing how many people would sign up for a. A country that many people barely even heard of and if they heard of it, it was mainly because of, of the horrible history of the country but it's also part of us part of the reason we're doing it is also to show the world that this country is is, is amazing for cycling and uh, to show through this ultra race the uh, how far this country has come in terms of safety in terms of development and things like that
1: and that first race that took place was Was it January or February 2020?
0: Yeah, it was the first week of February, yes.
1: Right before the world changed. I remember that first race. I remember a lot of friends took part in that. And then obviously we all know COVID hit. You got the first race in right before COVID. 2021 and 2022, you did have races,
0: correct? We had a struggle. The, The measures in Rwanda were strict and were changing on a weekly basis. So actually, I think the 2021 one, yes, actually the people already arrived in Rwanda. When we got the message of the government, there's no competition at all allowed. Uh, you are part of the competition. Your race is not happening. And that was literally three days before the race. So people were already there. So we said, the tourism is still allowed. So let's just call it a, a tour, and not a race. So we call it the journey around Rwanda. Then last year, a similar thing happened. We gave people two options to say we will do a race still uh, further in the year. And then the ones who already bought plane tickets or took leave days in February, we will do a bikepacking tour around the country. Because also this this year, 22, I think there was another peak of cases. So it's been a struggle finding, finding these windows that we could actually race.
1: Yeah, I think, I'm not sure if it was the 2021 or 2022, I can't remember at all, but I was going to do one of those races and then I just decided I didn't think it was a good idea because things were changing. So much. So I'm really excited to come back for 2023, which will be, I guess, the first race where there's no real restrictions, hopefully. (laughs) Never say never, but it seems like, you know, the world has kind of come back to normal, somewhat normal, whatever normal is for this race. So this race, I think, you know, is going to be particularly special for people. From your perspective, how does it differ from previous editions besides all of the restrictions?
0: Uh, Well, first of all, because I think the world is opening up again it will be by far the largest edition uh i think we will be full which is we don't have a very strict number between 85 and 100 people um so it will be yeah a very big edition in, in that regard also every year we have more and more uh, people from rwanda and around participating uh last year Geoffrey was second uh violette was second in the women's uh, category We are getting more people coming from Uganda as well, people who are currently doing the the rhino uh, race in South Africa. So I'm very happy to see the race growing, not just in numbers, but also in in the depth in terms of especially this kind of diversity uh, and especially the, the regional riders participating.
1: Fantastic. And I guess in my little look through ride with GPS and looking at the route. And I might regret to say this, but it looks like it doesn't seem like any of the climbs are particularly challenging. If you're looking at the average gradient, I think you're smiling because I looked and I saw 8% as being the highest average gradient. Am I misreading that or is it?
0: In a part it's it's correct. So we barely have, we barely have, or we don't uh, have hike a bike. I mean, depending on the the weight of your bike and the the strength of your legs at that moment. But everything is rideable. There is no 20 kilometer kind of climbs. It's hills. Uh, The gravel, some of the gravel is absurdly smooth. Uh, There's definitely some places where that's not the case. Um, And then there are very steep parts. It definitely goes to 12, 15%. But those are then like 100 meter. There's not this kind of walls of, of 5 kilometers at, at 12%. Those actually don't really exist in Rwanda.
1: I'm liking this. This is making me more comfortable when I think about the gravel. Talk us through, I guess, the route in general and the checkpoints and what some of the highlights are in your opinion.
0: Yeah, so we really, as I said, we try to do as much of the country as possible. Um, we go eastwards to start, which is the flatter part of the country. So we start also a bit easier. Um, it's where the Akagera National Park is, where the the safaris, so or most of the lions and elephants. But we won't uh, encounter those because the, the, that park is actually fenced off. So we can't uh, we can't accidentally uh, cross a lion. Um, but okay, it's, good. <laughs> we, probably that region is. A lot of people, when they think of Africa, they think of savannah and wide open spaces with a big sunrise. That's the region where you have most of that. Um, And after, I think, 280 kilometers or so, there will be a first checkpoints. We have quite a lot of checkpoints, quite often, to make people feel a bit more at ease. It's already out of most people's comfort zone by just going to this continent many have never gone before. Uh, so every 200 kilometers almost, we have a checkpoint. So then the cool thing about Rwanda really is that after that, things change. Like every 200 kilometers is also almost like a different country. So you start climbing from there on. You go into uh, the lake region of the country, first literally following a lake. So quite flat without climbing into 2000 meters of elevation um, towards the volcano national park, which is probably one of the most beautiful regions in, in the country and the world, I think. It's also where the heart of African cycling is. So the next checkpoint is also in the Africa Rising Cycling Center, which is the training center of the national team. So one nice thing is that there's a bike workshop and a mechanic there. So that's about halfway the race. So it's a perfect uh, spot to to fix that broken derailleur that many have by then or things like that. Um, <laughs> and that's yeah i think that's 450 kilometers a lot of people last year's uh, did the full stretch until there and then took some some rest at the cycling center um others, 450 kilometers yeah others were very happy to reach the first checkpoint i think the first year especially was torrential rain and uh, people at the first checkpoint said like okay this is enough for me today and then the western part of the country is really is the region of tea plantations, coffee plantations as well. There's the Kivu Lake, which is the border between Rwanda and the uh, uh, Congo. Um, so we basically follow that lake mainly over very, very smooth tarmac. So the tarmac you will do will also be really smooth. Oh, it's not true. You will have a small gravel section up to 3,000 meters before. So that's a nice, beautiful section as well and then towards the Nyungwe rainforest uh, probably the the main spot where you can uh, spot some uh, wildlife uh, monkeys mainly Um, and then towards the east of the country back to the more moderate kind of hills and then the last 70 or even 100 kilometers these days uh, back to kigali is on tarmac Uh, but i mean for most people, it's one of the longest 100 kilometers they will do. Yeah. But yeah, that's a, it's a very compact race, but there's so many different regions that I do think it doesn't blend too much together. I think that's what I like about the course.
1: What's generally been the fastest, like over the past few editions? How fast are the fastest cyclists? So two and a half
0: days. That's the time. No one has done it under 48 hours. If all conditions Maybe are well... It should be possible uh, but there's always been like the first year the rain was horrible last year uh, justinas who was actually blasting through the course he got some yeah he had, he had a couple of punctures and no spare tubes um, and don't expect to find a lot of bike shops along the course in rwanda so no spare tubes means looking everywhere for just a single tube Especially if you bring like the turbolitos like he did, which you can't patch. I mean, Rwanda, which is cool, is there's cyclists everywhere. There's really cyclists on every road, on every corner. People use it to go to school, to go to work, to transport people as a bike taxi, to transport stuff. I've seen cy- bicycles transporting motorbikes, uh, sheep, uh, everything you can think of. <laughs>
1: the original bike packers.
0: Exactly. Oh, yeah. When you think like, oh, I'm too... I I am too heavily loaded. Uh, this is not fair. My bike is not good. <laughs> then you will have this one guy with like a bat on the back of his bike passing you on on an uphill, and you'll be okay. I should not really complain. <laughs> <On> <laughs> you a won't single complain anymore. I, yeah.
1: I've seen some of the feedback um people have given on previous races. You know, some of the best views of my life. Like people talk about Rwanda just being a magical. You know, the race being a magical experience for them. What do you think makes the race so special?
0: So Rwanda has amazing sunrises. And of all the things that you don't often do in other sports events, is an ultra race, you are way more likely to catch a lot of sunrises. And because of the topography, there's so many hills. So every sunrise is so different, but even a sunrise one kilometer further is completely different. And the colors in the sky, they change every second. So that is the thing which I like most. Also, when we go riding here in Kigali, it's often before the workday. So it's around sunrise. I think you're doing similar things in Dubai. And it's really a big part of what makes the country so nice. The sunsets are okay, but the sunrises are really magical here.
1: Well, someone named Don, I'm really excited about that. So (laughs) looking through the the race manual as well, you said there's literally places everywhere to stop and refuel. Is that correct? Are you going to be caught out anywhere? It seems like it's densely populated. So there's people around generally all the time.
0: Yeah, it's densely populated and not really well planned in terms of settlements. So that means there's people everywhere. There are like two or three sections where there is a bit more scarcity uh, the national park regions mainly. uh, And we do notify those, uh, I think they're in the athlete guide, and if they're not, they will be in the next one. But in general, there's really people everywhere, there's bicycles everywhere, there's kids everywhere. Up to the point that people, when you're very tired, do get annoyed of having people everywhere. Like you're fixing your, your tube, you're fixing your bike, you're just sitting on the side of the roads. And people will always be very friendly but at some moment you just want to be left alone <laughs> of course and uh, i mean quite frankly the the roads that we take uh, not a lot of, of bike packers of white cyclists ever uh, cross those roads so people are just very curious what the hell you're doing there uh, even like at 2am for example so yeah there yeah. will be people around always
1: okay great so you're not going to get caught out with no food hopefully
0: I think the 21 edition 22 edition there was still curfew in place so then it was harder mm. but let's assume there's no more curfew uh, happening so uh, things should be fine
1: and at each of the checkpoints there's a hotel correct
0: yeah so the checkpoints are in uh, hotel buildings so we don't guarantee i mean if the whole race decides to stop in the first checkpoints yeah, there's no no 85 rooms in the checkpoint but we don't expect it to so normally people are. Uh, we never had issues with uh, the hotel sold out, except for the first checkpoint actually. But that should be fine. So plus you, we also do note on the on the map before where the bigger towns are, so you can know at least right. okay, I'm 40 kilometers from the uh, from a town. Google Maps is getting better and better in Rwanda as well. I think two years ago it was still a bit okay, challenging. Great. Also the four G is four G coverage is countrywide very fast internet everywhere so you can always look up stuff
1: that's perfect for me because i don't do camping i don't do baby <laughs> and i don't think you can anyways in rwanda right
0: like what we tell people is not illegal but you will wake up with the whole village around your tent either trying to guard your tent just <laughs> really <laughs> staring at this person who's sleeping in the middle of nowhere with it te- <laughs> i mean so i wouldn't do it just because yeah it's, it's gonna be a bit weird but not illegal.
1: Okay, good to know. What do you think the most challenging part of the race is for those racing?
0: So the weather can turn bad sometimes. We do it in what is called, in terms of seasons, the, the short rain and short dry season, but it's just before the rainy season. And actually the first year the rainy season came early. And so we had some early. of the worst rains of the year at that moment. And then some of the gravel is proper gravel. Other gravel is like a packed dirt, which is very clay, very sticky. Uh, So when it rains, some of these roads, no matter which kind of tires you have, it just glues on your tire and it turns into this two and a half inch slick mud tires. So the weather conditions are some of the things that make it hard. Plus uh, Rwanda being so close to the equator year-round we have 12-hour nights so compared to doing ultra races in the summer in europe where you maybe have 18 hours of sunlight and the nights are long
1: so you need good lights and maybe mud you just have to deal with it if it comes But
0: i mean it's not a full gravel race so the, the tarmac is coming afterwards okay
1: <laughs> I guess we chatted earlier about safety in particular, and I think there's been a lot of discussion around women's safety, you know, particularly for me in my experience in my first race. If anyone doesn't know, please go back to episode one to have a listen. You know, safety and ultra cycling has seemed to be a topic of discussion overall this year in particular. What are you doing as an organizer to address, I guess, some of the issues around safety in, in this race?
0: Yeah, first of all, Rwanda is a safe country, which is something also shown by by numbers. Uh, this is something a lot of people are worried about, also being a developing country uh, in the middle of a largely unknown continent. Uh, so in general, Rwanda is safe, and Rwandans are also very proud of how safe it is, which means that there's a lot of social control. Like, there are so many people. If there is, let's say, one drunk guy in the village trying to annoy cyclists, the rest of the village would do their part in in stopping that. But the ways we do address it, first of all, okay, we do have trackers and actually we work with the the national police who then works with the local police. So the police is aware of this race. So they are actually monitoring uh, everyone as well. So if there is an issue, the way the police is structured in Rwanda, means that there's always an officer nearby. Uh, plus, we have a very clear, let's say, emergency protocol, not just for safety, but also for accidents. Uh, there is, I mean, some regions are remote. The level of the hospitals outside of the cities is not amazing. So in terms of safety, that's also something we, we care about. We even have doctors stand by in different districts that are ready also to, that are also following the trackers. And then the good thing, as I say, is we don't reach regions which are out of cell phone coverage. So it's a really good thing is that we're always into a coverage room.
1: Okay, great. Yeah, I mean, it's something I thought about particularly in the past couple of years, um, because here in Dubai, we don't typically ride on the road. And just over the summer, I was riding in France and just... Riding next to cars again, you know, after two years took some getting used to. But you said Rwandans are used to cyclists. There's lots of cyclists on the road all the time. So it's just a matter of being lit up and having the proper lights, you know, from a traffic point of view, a car safety yeah. point of view.
0: Not going to say, I mean, the number of bicycle accidents and, and, and deaths per year is way too high. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, it's too high in every country, but. There's definitely, the traffic is always, as everywhere something to look out for. Right? I do think compared to neighboring countries where bikes are more of a rarity, people actually go around you when they pass a bike and things like that. Uh, but we also, like, we start at uh, before, way before sunrise. It's part of a safety measure as well, because the road we take out of the capital city where we start out, of Kigali, is a super busy um, traffic artery. So we want to be past the heavy traffic before the day starts. That's also a reason we start. People don't always like to start at 4 a.m. But there's a reason behind it.
1: So race around Rwanda is not the only race that you organize. You have a bunch of other races that you're organizing that people can go and participate in. You mentioned the Rwandan Epic is happening in hopefully, I'm not sure when this podcast is going to go live, but early November. And then I noticed on the website, the Silverback, the expedition, which is a four day gravel race at 100 kilometers a day and then a shorter race race. And then something you've done in previous years, but it's not happening this year, was the journey around Rwanda, correct?
0: Yes, and it's, it's the reason we're actually... So we always have a, a gravel event, a, a one-day gravel race as well. Now, based on the feedback we had of last year's, we, we realized that a one-day race often is not enough for people to make the, the long flight from, say, Europe, the US, or, or other continents, um, so instead of now grouping this journey with a race around Rwanda and then always kind of forgetting about the people doing the non-competitive version and we are actually not giving them the attention they deserve, what we're doing now is planning, but we didn't don't have a date fixed yet, we need to do that very soon, is to do this one-day gravel race. And then either the week before or the week after, combining it with with a bikepacking trip around the country.
1: People can find out information on Race Around Rwanda website for all of these races?
0: If you go first to the racearoundrwanda.com, then there are links to the other races as well, indeed.
1: Something else I wanted to chat about. In 2022, you guys started a project called Rwanda Beyond, which is a a cycling team that's supporting the next generation of Rwandan cyclists. Do you want to talk us through that a bit?
0: Yeah, this came actually from organizing the first race around Rwanda, when we also did realize, okay, we have interest from other countries. But first of all, Rwandans don't really know the concept of bikepacking racing. There's a lot of cycling talent, a lot of cyclists, but there's only one discipline in cycling, which is road cycling. There's almost no mountain biking, there's no let's say BMX, or there's definitely no track cycling, so and also no bikepacking. So we did realize we don't want to be a race in Rwanda with only non-Rwandans. So we wrote to some bike brands to say, can you help us with getting affordable gravel bikes? We wrote to bikepacking companies like Apedura and Tailfin who helped us with the gear. Um, and then we really very ad hoc were trying to at least get some riders who showed an interest in, uh, in doing this kind of events by getting the gear to compete because everyone just had 25 millimeter road bikes, uh, millimeter tire road bikes. Actually the first year Fazil he, he signed up a week before and he said like, yeah, I'm going to do it on my bike. And he finished, I think top 10 almost, uh, on his 25 millimeter tires
1: on 25 uh, on, the, on 40% gravel. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's on a gravel bike now. I'm happy that we have achieved that. But that year was really, really just the first one and two years was really trying to help a bit. But then we also start to realize, okay, we can help people with getting bikes. But then there's no other races, uh, just one race or maybe two races a year within Rwanda. Uh, But if you want to compete in this kind of events, you need to train, you need to race in other races, you need to experience other events. Uh, We realized then, okay, the way to do this is is to start a more structured team. Um, And the idea of the team and the reason it's called Rwanda Beyond is also to show riders and all the riders that are in the team now are riders that were at one point told by their coach your cycling career is over. So as a road cyclist in Rwanda, when you turn 23, you don't sign for a big European team or a small European team. The coach is usually saying, yeah, that was your career. You know, go back to what you were doing before. Most often cyclists, when they are 16, their coach is also telling them to drop out of school. So that means at age 23, they're without a degree, without a skill. And... Um, being told "Yeah, cycling is not going to happen so find something else. So one thing we also want to achieve with this is to work on professional development beyond cycling. Uh, so Fazil he's, uh, he's opened his uh, a small art gallery, he's an artist. Violette she's in university studying for tourism management, uh, Jean is a cycling guide, Innocent is a cycling coach uh, and we really try to also to support that. So we don't want to be a team of full-time cyclists, and we are not Mm -hmm. focusing on under-18s either. It's mainly to show Rwanda is alive beyond those couple of years you try to become a professional road cyclist. And even more, if you look at ultra cycling, gravel cycling, marathon mountain bike cycling, when you're 35 to 45, you can still very much compete in most of these events. Or win. Yeah, for sure. Many people who win are in mm. that age bracket.
1: So how many people are on the Rwanda Beyond team? Again, you just mentioned four or five? Uh,
0: we have five for now, yes. It's been a bit of a struggle in terms of uh, of actually getting to races. So we did mm. have some, some nice brands to support us, like Hunt Bike Wheels, uh, Peloton de Paris, which is a small clothing brand in Belgium, which is really also geared towards adventure cycling. Uh, we got the helmet from Limar, the shoes from Northwave, and some some, uh, some spare parts from Sunrace as well. But then actually, to get the gear was the easy part, to get the cyclist is the easy part. To get invites for other races is also very easy. But then actually getting there, we got uh, an invite from Hunt Wheels to get to uh, several races in the UK. We applied for the visa with all the paperwork from the invitation from the UK and all that, and all those visas were rejected. So we got the budget, we got the invite, we got the bikes, we got the training, but then the visa is rejected on the last moment. So which That's does work of course the motivational for for everyone involved. So this is something yeah. we are now looking at structuring things even more next year not waiting for invites for races and then starting to apply for visa, but already now blocking a period we want to go to Europe, getting the funds, getting the visa a long time in advance that even if things go wrong, we can still adjust. Um, so there's a lot of things that need to improve. There's a lot of dreams that we have. I mean, we could easily have a team of 20 riders, um, but uh, everything is expensive. Resource dependent resource-dependent.
1: If people want to find out more information and how to support you guys, like how can they support you in Rwanda Beyond?
0: Yeah, so go to rwandabeyond.cc or to our Instagram, Rwanda Beyond. Uh, we do list. Uh, we have a page support uh, where people can either become like a monthly supporter or or buy a support package. Uh, but I mean, we do hope to to get um funds, but not just through donations. We really what we want to do if people have connections with certain cycling brands that they know are interested in supporting this kind of projects. We love to be linked up. We, we really, we are not trying to start a charity and we are not asking for handouts or for just, please, can you give us, we have done it and it's been very helpful, but we want to have a structural way of getting income through also creating value for the cycling brands. The, the mm-hmm. brands that are supporting us now are also doing this because they see value in the project. They also, mm-hmm. I, I do think they also really want to support the writers, support the project. But it's further than that. They do know that by going to Europe with African writers, by bringing Europeans to Africa, there's so many interesting stories that can be told and that are now completely unheard.
1: Absolutely. Well, I'm really excited about, excited slash nervous slash... I don't know. <laughs> this is my return to ultra cycling, so I'm sure there's going to be some crazy stories. What what has been the craziest thing that's happened on the race so far?
0: Well, some, some funny stories of the first year were uh, Omar, that you know as well. He had dropped his wallet uh, somehow in the middle of a village. And then apparently one day later, uh, the people from the village just saw another white cyclist passing by. And they stopped him to say we found a wallet of this random weird guy on a cyclist you look a bit the same do you know this guy They said oh yeah i think he's one of the competitors so he got his he got his uh, his wallet back completely random but also um, i mean people uh slept on the side of the road and we got a phone call of the police we, we have a, a cyclist here we don't know if he's fine <laughs> no, no, just just let him sleep. It's something. It's something very <laughs> exotic. The, those uh, those people from all over the world uh, doing this crazy thing. So it's uh, it's definitely an event for people living in Rwanda as well.
1: Oh, fantastic! And where are people coming from for the race this year? Like, where is everybody based primarily? Is there one country represented more than others? Mm-hmm.
0: Huh, I, I should go over the statistics. There's mainly Europeans. Uh, there's quite a big of a big UAE group going every year. I think there's a good connection and uh, flight-wise, but also Yeah, I'm going to try to rustle
1: to... up everyone up. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> In the first year, you had, we had quite some people. First year coming from the, the US, even Australia. But then last two years, I mean, COVID made it almost impossible. Uh, so we do hope to also have some people from over there. And as i said more and more people are coming from kenya uh uganda maybe tanzania as well this year so that's also a really cool evolution
1: what's your hope for this year's race
0: first year something really cool that we had first year with uh, i mean i don't think it's ever going to happen again but that would be a hope is that all but one uh rider so 99 percent of the riders finished the race so for <laughs> being a rather hard challenging race our time limits are gentle compared to some other races so we really hope that everyone even if they have issues one rider took a taxi back to to Kigali to fix his bike cycled all the way back to where he was and finished the race so something we really always hope for is as many people as possible actually finishing the race even some people finish after time limit which is always really cool to see
1: remind me of the time limit again it's six days correct or five. Six days, five, yes. six. Six days six days. I believe. Okay. And if you break it down, how many kilometers is that a day? My maths are One hundred 180. 180. It's, again, famous last words seems feasible.
0: <laughs> I think it is. Uh, but it really it's a lot about mindset. And um, I think I've, like last year, what happened is the first 300 kilometers was absurdly fast. Uh, this year, actually the last edition. And a lot of people suffer throughout the race after their crazy 300 kilometers because the first 300 are also the easy one that's the the flat kilometers well relatively flat mm-hmm. kilometers the next 700 that's when it starts to get challenging so I mean, as in all sports and especially ultra cycling, it's a lot to do with pacing and the mindset as well, of course.
1: What advice would you give to people who are like racing, like in it to get top three? And what advice would you give to someone like me who is excited to finish it and not come last?
0: (laughs) I think it's uh, the one that I call it the country of a thousand hills and you will have the feeling you're always going uphill, even though I think you need to remember 50% is downhill as well. And A good thing about all the gravel is also that none of the gravel sections are extremely long. So also when you're climbing on horrible quality gravel, you know there's an extremely smooth uh, tarmac road just around the corner. So I believe the longest gravel section is like 80 kilometers. So you always know, okay, 20 more kilometers to go and I I have a reward by a a very nice tarmac section, probably a village, probably a, a small restaurant.
1: Okay, fantastic. So if you're climbing, know that you're going to go down. And then if you're on gravel, know that there's going to be tarmac around the corner. Just from practically speaking, what has been the most common mechanical issue for people?
0: We got a couple of derails ripped off by this sticky mud, which unfortunately you can't do much about. Um, And punctures. Um, If you are not riding tubeless there's some of some of these gravel sections they are smooth one month and then there's a one month rainy season all the small gravel rocks wash away and what's left is the big rocks uh so we got some some wheels like rims hit by big rocks uh, after a puncture or even a, even in a tubeless setup and still hitting the rim so i do think wide enough tires is this comfortable don't let yourself be fooled by the 600 kilometer of tarmac. You right. still need wide enough tires. In terms of of, of profiles, what width width or not, I don't know. Depends a bit on the weather, but I think it's more the width which is important.
1: And bring a spare derailleur.
0: Don't bring a spare derailleur, no. Uh, bring, the, spare derailleur the, hanger, sorry. Hanger, yes. Yeah, don't. Like, so there is literally two bike shops in the country which sell like um spare parts for let's say non-single speed steel bikes um so don't expect to find any specific spare parts uh bring it even if it's for just before the race we had some people arriving just before the race and then somehow still looking for a a specific bottom bracket kind of thing uh no you won't find (laughs) it here no so bring your spare parts
1: Plan accordingly. Has anyone done it on a single speed steel bike?
0: People done big parts of it on a single speed because they broke their derailleur. As in, if you break it off after three, I think the longest one
1: did
0: did over 700 kilometers on single long area.
1: That wasn't Eddie, was it, last year?
0: Oh, he did a long part as well, yeah, for sure.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I spoke to him about it after. Okay, good. Yeah. You notice like on some of the, what was it on the transcontinental, like someone did it on a Brompton, which I don't think is feasible in a place like Rwanda. But
0: every year we have people asking, uh, can we, can I do it on my recumbent? And I'm like, no, I guess so. (laughs) But you're going in the dark on like a 15%, 15% gravel downhill uh, on not very smooth gravel, I, I've never ridden a recumbent myself, but on a Brompton, I'm sure you could do it. I don't see why. I also don't see why you would, but I guess you could.
1: <laughs> Fair point. I wanted to talk a little bit about cycling in Rwanda in general, because in 2025, the UCI Road World Championships are taking place. Talk us through kind of the development of cycling. Everyone's a cyclist, but the development of more racing. Yeah. and cycling there in your time and what you see is the future of cycling in rwanda
0: yeah i've been here over five years now i i I lived in belgium before which is of course also a cycling crazy country um but then the cycling here is definitely still in a in a very early phase there's some things that i really saw changing over the five years some things really positively for example before cycling was seen okay there were two reasons to ride a bike it was if you didn't have enough money to buy a car or it was if you wanted to be a professional cyclist but people like us crazy enough to to ride hours every week for fun that was that didn't exist before uh that was something of foreigners living in the country who are doing it only and that's changing now there's a lot a lot more amateur cyclists who really found a bit like everywhere during COVID, when football and basketball was not allowed who started to ride a bike for fun and and I'll keep doing it. So that's a very good um, progression, a very good change. Uh, But then in terms of the professional road cycling part of things, especially since COVID, uh, things have not gone very well. There's been barely any races during COVID. A lot of riders, um, I mean, cycling is is nowhere a sport with a lot of money. Uh, But if there's no races, um, there's no exposure for sponsors, Sponsors will not pay, so teams can't keep existing, no riders are being paid. So a lot of riders dropped out during COVID, a lot of um, private race organizers. There are already not a lot, but actually it was only the cycling the Federation who was still organizing races. So we are doing what we call alternative races, so not the traditional road cycling events. So there were some projects that existed before in in, in Rwanda, like the Africa Rising Project. They left the country very sudden. There was a change in management in the Cycling Federation. And then COVID came. And actually, for the last two years, cycling has been struggling. So now you see Mm. this World Championship has been awarded. That was also a bit of a wake-up call for people involved in cycling. Basically, the realization we will have a World Championship coming to our country The state of Rwandan cycling now. Rwandan cycling was also one of the top cycling countries in the continent. At this moment, among the top 15 African cyclists, there's no Rwandan. So, you know, Binyam Girmai has been doing amazing things on the road. Uh, There's some really cool projects um, from South Africa. There's a lot of talent in Rwanda as well. But at the top level, um, ever since... Basically, Adrian Yunshuti six, seven years ago, there has not been a Rwandan on the top level. Um, Rwanda is also really playing catch-up in women's cycling. The national championships this year at the elite level, I think there were eight women. Uh, so that's, uh, to be honest, a, a bit sad. So things are changing now and for the better, really. But I do think uh, Covid years have been difficult, and not just because of Covid, also because of lack of vision, a lack of funds, but also a lack of kind of ambition to gather funds and to say to see what I was saying. there's all this value. there's all these stories. Sponsors are looking for stories. They love to to find those. We have them here. We have the talent. We have the stories. Uh, there's no reason for the national team. to go buy helmets. They can get a helmet sponsor, but at this moment, when they break a helmet, they need to go to Mm -hmm. a shop and buy a helmet, which I think is is really the wrong way of doing things.
1: I think there's probably a huge opportunity now with the championships and nothing like a deadline either to mobilize people. (laughs) Really excited to visit. Is there anything else I should know or like people listening who are thinking about race around Rwanda should know about Rwanda, about the race? About the experience?
0: What should you know? Honestly, there's not too much to worry about going to Rwanda. And that people always ask, like, what should I be prepared for? Except for the fact that there will be people on the side of the road everywhere and also on your lowest moments, There will be someone <laughs> trying to cheer at you and you will be shouting back, please leave me alone. But in general, Rwanda is a country that takes care of you. They really also love tourism. So they will do everything to make tourists happy. Don't expect a big supermarket, a big cycling shop, a big anything. It's still a very poor country. So don't be shocked by that either. Rwanda sometimes appears more developed, more uh, prosperous than it is. It's still one of the poorer countries in the world. So also don't forget that.
1: Thank you so much for your time today to share with us about race around Rwanda. Um, Yeah, we're going to be doing a series on, I guess, based on my training around it. And I'm super excited to see you and be on the start line in February. Excited slash (laughs) nervous.
0: What, what is your expectation,
1: you know, just kind of doing research to speak with you today and also just learning a bit more about the race in general, my expectation is to have a really good race and to really enjoy Rwanda because everyone I've spoken to who has gone there has just absolutely loved it. So I think with any of these races. I kind of go in with an open mind and I guess a bit of an open heart, too, to kind of accept whatever happens in these races, because a lot of things, as prepared as you are, a lot of things are out of your control. But, yeah, just to have a a beautiful race, to see beautiful scenery, meet interesting people from competitor, you know, fellow competitors through to people on the journey throughout Rwanda, see some stuff, have a safe race. Hopefully not have any mechanicals because that's kind of my weak point. But my expectations just come and joy and finish and not come last. That's my goal always because my last race I didn't finish.
0: Well, try to work on the mechanical thing because it's a big part of ultra cycling.
1: Yeah, I've got time. To- I've got time. I've got time. It's just... Yeah, my brain is not really wired that way. When I think, you know, the mechanics of a bike is just not it doesn't. My brain doesn't work like that. It's more like, oh, I can plow through stuff, but I can figure stuff out as well. But yeah, I'm planning to address that issue. <laughs> that
0: issue. Oh, yeah.
1: I'm, I'm better than some people. But who knows?
0: If we still have time for one story in 2021, one guy who came here with a 12 speed uh, di two broke off his derailleur. Uh, He managed to go to a local bike mechanic. The best they had was a seven-speed derailleur, uh, which they managed like one of these old-timey kind of shifters that you put on the top of your handlebars because it's a seven-speed. The pulley wheels, they had to change it with the 12-speed so he could keep his original chain. And he continued the last 600 kilometers on this seven-speed hack on his uh, originally 12-speed Di2. So there's always a solution. And most places in Africa, people know how to solve problems because they're used to dealing with them. So if there's an issue, there will be a solution as well.
1: So you're telling me I can't scratch. <laughs> if there's a mechanical.
0: <laughs> there will be a solution.
1: Of course. Everything's figure outable. I think it's just exactly. a matter for me getting my my fitness up and then which is my was my problem in the last race. I wasn't. Physically or mentally ready for it. I'll say that. So my plan is to be physically and mentally ready for this race. And then, um, yeah, planning as well is a big part of it, which I think people kind of take that planning aspect a bit for granted about all of the things that can happen or wrong clothing or whatever. I don't know. So I'm going to plan accordingly. Everyone's going to follow my planning. Hopefully. For anyone listening, I'll put all of a bunch of resources in the show notes. Um, and there's still time to sign up for Race Around Rwanda. I think last year someone signed up a couple of weeks in advance. What are the yeah. late entries?
0: So we we don't really have a time limit. We we are full while we're full. So um, if you think everything's full, still send us a message. Maybe someone just canceled and we, uh, and, a, and a place opened up. So take your chance. There and you come over. So if you're
1: sitting on the fence... If you're sitting on the fence, sign up. Just don't think about it, just sign up. Things will fall into place. Thank you so much for listening today.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, we ask that you please share it with family, teammates, friends,
1: and even frenemies, or share via social media. Please also leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Five stars only.
0: And visit us on themetalset.com for more stories and resources. Thanks again for listening. Your support means the world to us. This is The Metal Set.